Dear Father in Heaven, we want to be on that ladder this evening. We want to go higher and still higher with you. And Lord, as we are coming to your throne right now, we come because there's nowhere else to go. Your word says, come boldly to your throne of grace that we may obtain grace and mercy in time of need. And Father, the times declare that this is definitely a time of need. We pray, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles. We're going to begin where it all began, at least in my mind, as I begin to seek to understand God and what he's trying to do in these last days. And so we're going to start in Revelation chapter 12, a place that we're all very, very familiar with in Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading at verse number one. Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1, and we're going to be covering the topic tonight, blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice. In Revelation chapter 12, and beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. So let's stop for a moment. Again, you're very familiar with all this. This is nothing new to you. So I'm going to ask you some fundamental biblical questions, and I want you to talk back to me. No one goes to sleep tonight. Amen. All right, question number one. Who is the woman that is bearing this child? Who's this woman? Wonderful. I knew you were going to give me the right answer. Now I'm going to ask you, how do you know? What Bible verse helps you understand that a woman is a symbol of the church? I like that. Ephesians chapter 5. Where else? Jeremiah 6 and verse 2. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? What about 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, where God says, I've espoused you as a chastened, virtuous woman. God is talking in regards to the church. The church is equated to a woman. So a woman is pregnant with child. And who is the other image that is in the same passage here in Revelation chapter 12? What image is there? A dragon. A dragon. What color is a dragon? A great red dragon, and he's coming to attack a pregnant woman. Is this a fair fight? Yes or no? I don't think so. Anybody seen pregnant women run before? I've seen that happen, actually. It is quite, it looks dangerous as she's running along there. I don't think it's a, a safe activity. So you have a dragon and you have a woman. The woman is seeking to get away from the dragon. Tell me, and this is a very important question, what is the object of the dragon's focus. Very good. Most times I hear people say it's the woman. No, the object of the dragon is the child that is going to be born. Now, according to the passage of scripture, I want you to jump down to verse number seven. Notice what verse seven says. It says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. 
And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth how much of the world, my friends? The whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In verse 4, it says that his tail drew a third part of the stars. So we know that the dragon used his tail to deceive the angels. Is that right? Very simple idea. Nothing new here as yet. So this dragon uses his tail to deceive, to trick one third of the angels to be cast out of heaven. Now, I want you to go with me just a tad bit further to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Again, things you are very familiar with already. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and we're beginning now at verse 15. And what is the tale of this dragon? Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he is what, my friends? The tail. So we see that the dragon, who is the devil and Satan, uses his tail to deceive one third of the stars, which are angels. And you know that in Revelation 1 verse 20 says that stars equal angels. Again, nothing new here. Right? There should be nothing new. So the dragon uses his tail. He uses lies. My mind says, now as I'm going along, what lies is he telling in order to convince angels who have never sinned, who have no reason to sin, who have never, never seen God do anything wrong? What kind of lies? What is he that he's told that has convinced them that they should abandon their loyalty to their creator? That's the question that I have in my mind. I want you to go to Isaiah. Again, a place that you're very familiar with. Isaiah chapter 14. And we're beginning now at verse number 12. Isaiah 14, and beginning at verse 12, notice the statement here. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did is what to the nations? Weaken them. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregations in the size of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like what, my friends? Question, what is Lucifer's problem in the text? You say pride. I say he has an eye problem. What do you say? He has a big eye problem. Five times he says, I will ascend. I will exalt. I, I, I. He has a massive eye problem. There's something wrong with what he is focusing on. Again, nothing new here, but pay attention. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 12. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and beginning at verse 12, we're looking at the origin of this rise of the great controversy, this war that has found its way into our present world, and we're needing to understand the origin, for there is no cure unless you ascertain the cause. Pay attention. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, beginning at verse 12, the Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Please keep those two points in mind. He's full of wisdom and he's perfect in beauty. Verse 13. 
Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Pause. So what I did, I went online because I wanted to see what these, these uh, gems look like, the emerald, the gold, the carbuncle. I wanted to see what these all look like. So I have it on my PowerPoint. Imagine. Use your imagination. They're here. You have green, red, some pure white. You have purple. All these are all the jewels that compose this angel. Understand, he was made out of this. You know, we're made out of dirt, right? Special dirt, breathed. Do you know all we are is just complex dirt? Do you know every time you get up in the morning, you go to the mirror, you're washing dirt? You put clothes on dirt. That's, that's all it is. We're just high-tech dirt. That's all it is. And Lucifer is made out of all these gems, all so beautiful, so awesome, so glorious. And the Bible says that he's an anointed covering cherub. Now, immediately your mind should go where? Where should your mind go? When you, where? You go to the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 25. So Lucifer is an angel that had direct access into the most holy place. Lucifer is an angel that had direct access and looked directly into the presence of God. This is no ordinary angel. In fact, let me show you something. If you go to, keep your finger in Ezekiel, I want you to go to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Isaiah, the sixth chapter, and we're going to begin reading... At verse number one, Isaiah, the sixth chapter, begin reading at verse number one. Notice what the Bible says. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings with twain. He covered his face and with twain. He covered his feet and with twain. He did fly and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, pause. The Bible calls the angels here. What's the name of these type of angels? Seraphims. What did we say that Lucifer was? The cherubim. So uh, these are seraphims. Now the seraphims have six wings. I've never seen one before, but I use my sanctified imagination to see one. So two of them cover the feet. That's all the wing is for. It's not even to fly. It's just to cover the feet. Two of them are to cover their, the face and two of them are to fly. These angels can't even look at God. Do you see the text? Their wings specifically to cover their eyes from beholding the glory of God. I find that fascinating. What type of God is this? What type of holiness is this God that angels who have never sinned don't even look upon God? Angels who have never broken God's law, angels who have no idea of what it is to be in dirt like we are, but these angels have so much reverence for God that they cover their faces in his presence. I show you this for a distinction. One, to exalt the holiness of God, but two, to show you that the angels that cover their face are different from the ones that look directly into the presence. Yes or no? 
If you look at this Ark of the Covenant, you have the angel that has his wings outstretched like this. The other angel touches the other wing and their faces look directly into the Shekinah glory of God. They do not cover their face. They have such special privilege, if you will. Lucifer was one of these, an angel that looked directly into the presence of God. Keep it in mind now. Now, the other thought that came to my mind as I was going over this, this idea It says that one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven. So I did some calculations. So I figured, you know, how in Daniel chapter 7, go there with me very quickly, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to look at verse number 9. Now, of course, you're very familiar with this, for you are an Advent people. In Daniel 7 verse 9, the Bible says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And the ancient of days did sit, whose garments was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was as the fiery flame, and its wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were? Tell me, what year is this verse taking place? All right. For those who don't know, the year is 1844. This verse is talking about 1844 when the judgment is set and the books are open. But I know that this could be what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Not an exact number, but an illustration. In other words, when it says thousand, thousand and ten thousand times ten thousand, it could just mean myriads. Is that all right? It could mean a lot. But let's just take the number as if it were real. It can't be anything less than what is on the paper. So if I do a 1,000 times 1,000, what, what's the number? Okay, so you have a million. Oh, in fact, it said thousand thousands. So you give 1,000 times 2,000. What's that? Two million. Come on now. This is university? <laughs> just checking. I just want to make sure. University. All right, so now you have 10,000 times 10,000. What's that? A hundred million. So just think for a second. You have at least 102 million angels in the most holy place alone. Anybody listening? If it's the figurative number, it can't be anything less than that. So we have 102 million angels in the most holy place in the sanctuary above. Now, I do this on purpose. Now, think about this for a second. If there's 102 million angels in the most holy place, this is after the fall, yes? So you have to take up a third. So it's around 51 million minimum angels that were cast out of heaven. Think about that now. A minimum amount, 51 million, a minimum amount of 51 million that were thrown out of heaven. Now, think about this for a half a second. You have an angel, one angel came down from heaven and killed 185,000 soldiers who were coming up against the people of God. Just one angel did that. One angel. One angel came down from heaven when Jesus rose from the dead, and when he landed, the Bible says that the earth shook with one angel. Tell me something. If one angel can do that, how is it that we can wake up in the morning? (sighs) Don't pick up the Bible. Don't spend time in prayer. The Bible says we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. But against what? 
principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So you have 51 million angels that move at the speed of light, and then we want to wake up in the morning and feel like we can just do what we do. There's no way possible spiritually you can do that. An unseen power, you can't even see these guys. You can't even see how they manipulate and control things. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is a spiritual warfare. So when I get up in the morning, there's two good things that I can remember. One, there's more of good angels than bad angels. Amen? It's a two-to-one ratio. We outnumber. Though there are more that are on our side, they're on their side. But the reality is we must find ourselves connected. Is that right? We must find ourselves connected. So in my mind, as I'm going over this story and I'm looking at the origin of this rebellion, you have this angel, this anointed covering cherub that went directly into the presence of God. He comes out from the presence of God. Now, not every angel has this access. He comes out from the presence of God and the Bible says that he uses lies. He uses lies. Now, go back with me now to the book of Ezekiel. We're back to Ezekiel. We're in Ezekiel 28. Remember the two ideas that I left with you to, told, to keep in your mind was that he, in verse number 12, he was full of wisdom and he was perfect in beauty. Remember in your mind this beauty that he has all these gems and all these ornaments that make up this beautiful angel. This angel is so beautiful and awesome that he has pipes. You know how they, back in the day, you know, I went, when I went to um, Oakwood, you know, you have people that, you know, people just sing. You ever met somebody that you just know that they had pipes built in? They can hit any note. There are just some people that are gifted like that. I am not one of them. But the Bible says that Lucifer had pipes built into him. That's amazing. Verse 14, again, pay attention, pay attention. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Watch verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. According to this text, what is he filled with at this point? What is he filled with? Violence. What was he filled with before? Very good. So he was full of wisdom before, but now the text says that he's full of violence. According to the text, what made him full of violence? What was it? Somebody said his lies. It starts with an M in the text. What does it say? His merchandise. Very good. So his merchandise has now filled him with violence. Question. What merchandise? Well, just in the context of what we've been reading, what is his merchandise? What is merchandise? Talk to me a little bit. What is merchandise? You go to the store and there's the ability to buy and sell. It's the ability to barter, right? And you go to the store, you buy something, you get merchandise. You get clothes, you get shoes, you you get a new iPad, you get a Surface, whatever you want to get. But it's merchandise. So what is the merchandise? What is it that he's using to barter with in this text? Some people say lies. Look at this. Pay attention. Go back to verse number 13. Look at verse number 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. 
the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold. Tell me, what is his merchandise? It's everything that he's made of. This is business. In fact, if you go back and you read the beginning part of Ezekiel 28, you'll see the, the prince of Tyre does merchandise as well. He's doing business. Now, notice what verse 16 says. Again, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. So, question, who gave him his merchandise? God. The Bible says that he was created, yes? So is there anything wrong with emeralds and gold and diamond and beryl and onyx and all these things? No. What was the problem? What's his problem? Somehow, some way, my friends, he began, pay attention, he began to worship the blessings of God instead of the God of the blessings. Listen, I'll say it one more time. Don't miss this, for this is the main point of the point I want to make right now. He began to worship the blessings of God over the God of the blessing. Lucifer's great sin, Lucifer's great sin was not going out and chopping someone's head off. His great sin wasn't starting ISIS or anything like that. Lucifer's great sin was worshiping the blessings of God over the God of the blessings. Question. Are you a blessed people? Yes or no? I mean, not everybody in the world gets to come to university. Not everybody in the world has the intelligence that you may have and your good grades that you may have. Not everyone in the world may have good looks like you have, right? Not everyone in the world may have good parents like you have or, or brothers and sisters like you have. Not everybody in the world might have a nice car like you have. But you have all these blessings, my friends, and some of us begin to worship these blessings over what God has asked us to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some of you are not even supposed to be here at this school. What are you doing here? Did God tell you to come here? While you're here at this school, God told you to come, and now you're here, and now you're just, what you're doing right now, some of us are just focused on some boy or some girl. And God didn't tell you to focus on no boy or girl right now. I speak to the realness of it because I used to go to school, and I run a school right now, and I know how it gets. I say it with a smile. Some of us worship the blessings of God over the God of the blessings. And when we do this, my friends, we corrupt ourselves. In fact, there's a story in the Bible of a man named Job. Anybody know the story of Job? God blessed Job with all these material things. Did Job begin to worship the things of God over God? No. And my friends, each one of us are going to be tested on that reality. Man, I think about it all the time. Every time I, f I know I'm blessed, literally, I know that I'm a blessed man. I could tell you all the wonderful things that God is doing for me right now, but I don't want to brag. No, no bragging. But I know that I'm wondering in my mind, I, I examine my own heart just to make sure if these blessings that I have in my hand begin to go away, will I turn my back on God? My children, do I worship my child over my God? 
You have to ask yourself these questions. I mean, you got to ponder over it. What if they all just left me? What if my mom and dad died? What if my wife left me? What if she just dray them out and be like, baby, what we just started? Would I just quit? Would I give up? What if my little girl died tomorrow? She's eight years old. She's a sweetie pie. What if she died? What would I do? Would I give up on God? Would I walk away? Lucifer corrupted himself by looking at his blessings. Notice what the Bible says. Continuing on. Verse number 16. By the monster of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy what? Did I make that up? Is that in the text? So in the text, his heart was lifted up because he looked very beautiful. If you all just remember that you're just advanced dirt particles, you will not become proud by how you look. You would stay humble. I want to emphasize this point before I go any further. Do you remember he was full of wisdom, but now he's full of violence? I want you to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're going to begin looking at verse number 44. John chapter 8, in verse 44. Notice what the Bible says. Pay attention. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a, what's the word? Murderer. Is a murderer violent? Yes or no? He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Again, I ask you the question, how was he a murderer from the beginning? He didn't have a bazooka, no machete, no machine gun. How was he a murderer? How was he violent from the beginning? First John chapter three, verse 15. First John chapter three. In verse 15, notice what the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a, what does it say? Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So the Bible says Lucifer was a a murderer from the beginning. And the Bible says if you hate your brother, you are a? Anybody murder anybody in here? One time I was uh, at church, you know, the Adventist church. I was at Adventist church. And, you know, how you have the entry door right there. And I'm sitting on that side of the door on the inside. And I heard on the around the bout side a brother or sister in in the hallway. And they was like, that brother Andre, you know Andre Waller, that brother, that brother's a fanatic. He's just off the wall. I mean, I can't, I can't stand him. And I'm listening. And then a few minutes later, as they, as they came around the corner and they saw me, oh, brother Waller, happy Sabbath. And I said, happy Sabbath, brother. <laughs> that brother's a liar. What do you think so? The whole time, I'm sitting right there, and they have the audacity to be talking behind my back. I wonder if that happens in the Adventist church. I wonder if that happens amongst any of the people here. 
go a little further. I want you to see something else. Proverbs. Proverbs 26. And we're going to begin reading. Oh, in verse 22. Pay close attention, my friends. Remember, the Bible says that he was a murderer from the beginning. The Bible also says now, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. Verse 22, the Bible says, the words of a talebearer, that means in the, in the original it means a whisperer, someone who likes to gossip. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth... He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred is covered by, covered by what, my friends? Deceit. His wickedness shall be shown before the whole congregation. Who diggeth a pit, whosoever diggeth a pit shall fall therein. And he that rolleth a stone, it shall return upon him. Watch verse 28. I want everybody to look at verse 28 carefully. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. What kind of tongue? Now, in this world present today, we have gradients of lies. We have white lies. Black lies, some people have blue lies, red lies. Tell me, is any lie permissible? Any lie permissible, yes or no? What if you're lying to stop someone from being hurt? Is that a good lie? There are some people that actually think telling lies to protect somebody from being hurt is a good lie. The answer is no. The Bible says very clearly, if you lie, you hate. If you lie, you hate. If you backstab and gossip, you are a hater. And if you hate, the Bible says you are a? Most of the damage that is done in church are done by loose lips. I want you to hear me. I'm going to say it real quiet. We like the gossip, you know. We like it. Even if it's sin in the church, we like to talk about it. We don't like to pray about it. We like to talk about it. Hmm? Sister so-and-so ain't did right. Brother so-and-so ain't did right. Loose lips. If you hate my brothers, my sisters, you are of your father the devil. And the works of your father you will do. If you go back, just look at the origin of how everything started. It started because Lucifer was talking like this. Lying. Go with me to Psalms 101. Psalms 101. Psalms 101. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. Psalms 101. Verses 5 through 7. Notice what the Bible says. Psalms 101, 5 through 7. The Bible says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. And that's interesting. Um, if you know anything about the Hebrew mind, this in verse 5, it's a Hebrew parallelism. So in one way, it will say that thought, like, the sky is blue. And then underneath it will say, the blue is the sky. It will say the same thing, just in a different way, right? So look at it again. Whoso privily 
slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. So in the text it's saying that those who are proud and arrogant will more than likely slander and talk badly about their brother or sister. You see it? Look at verse 6. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry where. So when you read now, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. What do you got? He got kicked out of the house. You see it? The Bible text says that he that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. He will be put out. Now I think about this. Is it possible to lie to ourselves? There are some people, I've, I've met them, I'll use this as an illustration, I've, I've met people who, they have a problem with smoking. And they say, I can quit anytime I want to. That's a lie, yes? They are addicted to the nicotine in their body. They will not quit anytime they want to. They are convincing themselves they have control, and in reality, they have no control at all. Do you lie to yourself? I'm asking you privately, personally, individually, have you lied to yourself? The Bible says, if you love me, keep my what? Commandments. So the Bible says, if you love me, you're going to do what I asked you to do, right? So tell me, how is it possible to say that you love God, but then intentionally and willfully still break his rules and instructions? How do you watch what you want to watch? How do you go where you want to go? How do you eat what you want to eat? So we lie to ourselves. How do we do that? I'll give you a prime example. I'm going to be as real as I can. And I just need to talk to you because I believe that we're living in the last hours of earth's history. And I believe at the, at the end of the day, it's not going to be how hard anybody preaches that's going to get us to the right place. It's going to be my realness and my transparency with my God. And, that, and when he sees me as I am and I recognize that he sees me as I am and I recognize what I am in his presence as I really am, then I can get the help that I need. But as long as I lie to myself and say I'm okay when I'm really not okay, I will not receive the help that I need. Do you follow what I'm saying? So here's the trick. And for conservative Adventism, it's worse for us. Notice I said us. You see, with conservative Adventism, we have all the right stuff to do. We go to church every Sabbath. We might even have Bible study. We might eat well, you know. I eat well. Just ask my host. We might, we might know the theological arguments to, to win anybody from Sunday keeping to Sabbath keeping. We might be on top of that. We might know the 2300 days backwards and forwards. We may be able to be apologetic and win any argument brought to us theologically. But at the end of the day, my friends, theological assent to information does not change a man or a woman. Hear me. It is the knowledge of truth in the person of Jesus that changes me from the inside out. No one heard me. Listen. Let's see. I am now 37 years old. Man, it's been a minute. 37. 
37 years old. Grew up in the church, okay? Like, I grew up in the Adventist culture. And the Adventist culture doesn't make you an Adventist. Amen. So I've been in the church 37 years. Adventist culture. Conservative from Mimia, we lad. Came to a knowledge of what I can know as now present truth. I understand the truth present for this time. And I've traveled almost the entire world, especially the Asia component, like Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines. Been all over that part of the world. Been to Botswana. I've traveled and I've seen most of Adventism. You know what the issue is? Can I just be real with you? Can I be real with you? We have a lot of this. We don't have a lot of this. We have a lot of this, a mental ascent to information, but we don't know how to apply this in the head to this in the heart. We don't. We don't know how to be real anymore. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and the Bible says this is not wise. We've lost sight of somebody. We've lost sight of the most important person there could be. You know his name, right? Can I tell you about my friend Jesus? Is that all right? I'm going to tell you about my friend Jesus in a story format. When I was a young man, my mom and dad grew up Adventist. We were considered, a, you know, that model family, you know. I would sit, I'm the oldest, I would sit next to my mom and dad, then my little sister, and then the baby sister. You know, we sit like that in a row. Go to church, everything's cool, copacetic. Everybody loves the Waller family. What most people don't know is that the Waller family was having issues. Anybody have family issues? We're having issues. Got to the point where my mom and dad wanted to get a divorce. Anybody know about that? They didn't want to be in a home with each other. They would argue continuously. That was my home. No pastor came to visit. Nobody came to see how we were doing. None of that was happening. But in my home, my home was falling apart. And I remember being probably about 16 when my parents started talking crazy. And I was like, look. If your God doesn't work for you, I'm going to leave. Because if he don't work for you, he ain't going to work for me. That was just an excuse, you know. But I was threatening them. So they act, you know, they shift up. You know, sometimes children have to parent their parents. So they conform for about two years. And then in the 18th year, my freshman year, on my way to school, to college, I was there. In a the couple weeks there, my mom calls me. Or my sister calls me and says, Andre, mom chased dad out the house. And I'm like, what? Mom chased dad out the house? She's like, yeah, mom chased dad out the house. I said, well, get mom on the phone. So mom gets on the phone and she's talking to me and she says, Andre, your dad did this. Andre, your dad did this. I said, mom, did you do anything? Did you do anything? She wasn't hearing it. I said, well, mom, look. I said, if God brought the family back together, would you allow God of the universe to bring the family back together? Would you allow him to do it? She said, if God brought us back together, I said, great. I hung up the phone. And I called around to try to figure out where my dad was. I couldn't find him anywhere. Finally, I found him at his mother's house. And I got on the phone. Now, you have to understand, my dad has two master's degrees. One, master's in divinity. <laughs> Another, master's of administration education. Very well-educated man. Two bachelor's degrees, one in religion, and the other one's in English. Smart man. So I call him, talking to my dad. Pops, what's going on? Your mom did this, your mom did this, your mom did this. The whole list. I said, Dad, did you do anything? No, your mom did this and this and this. I said, all right. 
I said, Dad, if God brought the family back together, would you allow God to bring the family back together? He said, only if God does it. I said, that's all I need. Hung up the phone. At this point, I'm an 18-year-old man, 19-year-old young man. That night, I cried myself to sleep in a fetal position like a baby. Cried myself to sleep. It was a Friday night. I remember it clearly. And the next morning, I woke up and put, you know, the suit on. The Adventist happy face. Went to the Adventist church. Went to the door. And the pastor that day had like this special prayer, like praying for all the family. Anybody need special prayer? So we all came down. It's probably like 200 of us down there praying. And I remember the weight. I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I, I felt the weight of my family on my shoulders. I really felt like I was going to die. I felt like everything in me was done. And I just started crying. I couldn't stop crying. It was uncontrollable tears. I could not stop. I, I remember it. Could not stop crying. I was on this side. But on this side. And I remember praying. I said, Father, I said, you got to do one of two things. Either one, you have to bring my family back together. Or two, you have to give me what the Bible says is peace that passes all understanding. You got to do one of those two things or else I'm not going to make it. Do those one or two things. And I remember as I'm praying, as I'm praying, this sister uh, puts her arms around me on the right hand side. Oh, she's like this. And she puts her arms around me. But there was another hand now, and it went and touched my shoulder, but the hand went through my shoulder, and it went to my heart. And my tears were not dried by human hands. And the peace that the Bible says that passes all understanding came over me, and I didn't know what was happening. I felt weird. I, I almost felt afraid, but I felt peace. And from that moment to today, that peace that I received at that moment was from my Father in heaven. Amen? You see, what I preach to you and what I teach you and I'm going through the Bible and I'm going through all this stuff, war in heaven, all this stuff, this is not a theory, my friends. This is not some idea. This is not a theological argument. This is not an apologetic I'm talking about the God of the universe that wants to come down and fight for us and be with us in the midst of all of our struggles and all of our pains. And, and I'm saying to myself, well, it's a theory to so many. But it's no experience. Think of the men and women of God. When Moses meets God, he takes his shoes off. He knows he meets God. Paul, he goes and he experienced God. From that point forward, his name is no longer Saul, but Paul. His name is changed. Mary meets Jesus. She's changed. Why is it that people say they know Jesus, but they're not changing? Because it's a theory. It's another philosophy. It might as well be Socrates and Plato and all these other people. But the God of the universe says, I am here for you. I'm going to fight for you. We have an eye problem. It's interesting. And I'm going to try to tie this to my next thought. It's interesting. If you go back to Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. It's lies that we tell ourselves that destroys us. It's lies saying that we're all right when we're all wrong that destroys who we are. It's lies that does this, my friends. And we don't need to believe these lies. In fact, 
I want you to go back and I want you to see something in verse, verse number 12. Again, the Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the psalm full of wisdom. Now, wisdom, if he's full of wisdom and then becomes full of violence, I need to know how was he full of wisdom? How did he get there? Proverbs, the third chapter. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs, the third chapter. Now pay close attention. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're beginning at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days... And long life and, what's that word? Peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bound them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God. So I ask you, according to verses 1 and 2, where do length of days, long life, and peace come from? Keeping the commandments, having God's law. And now I want you to go to verse number 13. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, happy is the man that findeth, what does he find? Wisdom. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Watch this now. For the, what's the word? Merchandise. Now, did we not see that word somewhere else? Where do we see that word? Very good. So we saw this word merchandise in Ezekiel 28. And the merchandise had to do with all the jewels and gems that Lucifer was built out of. Is that right? Now watch. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared with her. Watch, length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. So according to this text, who is the her is in her right hand? Who's her? Wisdom. So length of days is in her right hand. Where, where, do we, where else did we say length of days was connected with? Keeping the commandments. So look, look, wisdom... And the commandments go together, yes? What was Lucifer's job? No, what was his position? What kind of cherub? He was anointed covering cherub. So, remember the imagery that you saw in the most holy place. The angel looks directly into the presence of God, and in the Ark of the Covenant, underneath the Ark of the Covenant, is what? What's in there? The law of God. So the reason why Lucifer was full of wisdom, because he has his eyes fixed upon the law of God, which is really a transcript of the character of God. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? When he moved his eyes away from his God to the blessings, he corrupted himself. I wonder. I wonder. If the simplest thing the devil wants us to do, this is very basic. I mean, I don't think it's more complicated than this. The, the very simple trick of the devil is, here's Jesus over here. 
So distract everyone from Jesus and get them looking over here. Now, you can put whatever you want on top of look over here. This is Jesus, and the devil says, I'm going to distract you, and you put your own distraction there. What is it? Tell me what your distraction is. Don't, you don't have to say it out loud. I'm not a priest. But just think about it. What is your distraction? Because literally, listen, this game would be over if everybody just figured out how to focus their eyes on Jesus. This would be, I'm literally, it would be done. Try it this week, for this whole week. Try to focus only on Jesus. Try to make Jesus the center of everything that you do and see how hard it is. See what happens to draw your attention away from the person of Jesus. See what will happen. Because the devil says, if I can just get them to stop looking at him. One of my favorite quotations is from the book Education. I believe it's page 192. It says, as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, there's awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. Do you see the power in that? I mean, that's the one quotation that's kept me in the church. The power in that thought is very simple, that if I behold him, there's something created in me that doesn't exist there automatically. I'm going to show you something. We already went to Proverbs. I want to show you something in Genesis 17. Genesis 17. Genesis 17. And I want us to read the very first verse. Then I'm going to see if I can find this quotation. Genesis 17, the very first verse, says this. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine. What is that in regular English? Very good. I just want to make sure. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am God Almighty. Stop. Don't read anymore. Look up. So God introduces himself to Abram, and Abraham is 99 years old. What has God already told Abraham to do? What is he supposed to have? He's supposed to have a baby at 99. You guys want to have a child? You're not 99. What about you, sir? You want to end? No? The children 99? Anybody want children 99? 99 years old. God's telling him you're going to have a child at 99. Everything's dry. Nothing's working anymore. 99. In other words, physiologically, it's not possible at 99 years old. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Stay with me. Next part of the sentence says, walk before me and be thou what? So God introduces himself as almighty because the next instruction is impossible for them to accomplish. I'll say it one more time. The reason why God introduces himself as almighty because the next thing he says to do is to be perfect. Is it possible for you and I to be perfect by ourselves? Yes or no? 
Okay. So I have been uh, traveling recently, and I've noticed that there is sin everywhere. Anybody notice that other than me? There's sin everywhere. I want to read this to you. Okay, here it is. Notice what it says. Christ Object Lessons 331. Let no one say. Now watch carefully. Let no one say, I cannot remedy my defects of character. Anybody have defects of character? I got a lot. Let no one say, I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. Listen, read it one more time. The impossibility lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. The real difficulty arises from the corruption of an unsanctified heart and an unwillingness to submit to the control of God. So please don't raise your hand. I'll be the only one that raises his hand on this question. How many of you have felt like giving up being a Christian? I'm the only one raising my hand. And I know there are many people in this room who would raise their hand with me. I remember clearly one day I was home visiting my family. This is before I was married. And uh, my sister was in the room talking to my mom. And as she was talking to my mother, I could hear her going, dabbity, 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 dabbity. And I said, you don't yabbity, yabbity mom like that. So I went to the room and I said, look, sis, you need to stop talking to mom like that. And she was like, I can do what I want, you know, moving her head and everything. <laughs> so then I decided that was not acceptable. As big brother, I must stop all foolishness. So I then proceeded to lift her over my shoulder and uh, walk her out the room, took her to her room. I opened the closet door. I put her in the closet and I closed the door. I mean, I had to be, what, 18, 19 at that time? She had to be, like, 16. And uh, I was pretty, like, I was not happy. I wasn't happy with her, but I wasn't happy with me. Because I, at this point, I'm knowing truth. And so I went downstairs to the basement. Well, I was on the third floor, went down to the basement. I'm sitting in the basement, and I'm literally upset at God because God has told me that I'm supposed to live this Christian life, and I can't even control my temper. And I just threw my sister in the closet. So I'm like, look, God, I'm, all, I'm, I'm pretty much done with this thing, man. I'm not even going to try to do this anymore. It's too difficult. Too difficult. And I remember being in, downstairs talking to God, but I wasn't just talking like, like I'm talking. I was actually like saying words that are not acceptable. And as I was saying these words, a still small voice came to me and said, Andre, go talk to your father. I said, I don't want to talk to my dad. And then the voice said again, go talk to your father. So I got up. I went up second floor, went to the third floor, and I was going to go right to go let my sister know a little bit more about respect. 
But I said, no, I went left. I went left, went to my dad's office, and my dad's, he's always typing. He's always typing, man. So he's in the room, and he's just typing, typing, typing. He's typing away. And I sit down behind him in a chair, and I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. And he's like, go ahead, son. And he's just typing, typing, typing. He doesn't even look up at me. He's just typing. I said, Dad, for real, man, I need to talk to you, man. He said, okay. What can I do for you? And he swings his chair around. And I really had every intention just to tell him that I was done with Christianity and that I'm going to go try something, you know, different without the burden of guilt that Christianity brings because I was tired of trying. So that's all I wanted to say. I wanted to say it in an intellectual way and, and then leave it alone. And uh, it didn't come out that way. Uh, it came out more like, I hate God. I hate him. Exact words. As I was saying that, tears started coming down my face. And my dad, if you know anything about my dad, man, he's a tough dude. But this day, he wasn't so tough. He didn't even say anything to me. You know what he did? He got up out of his chair, came over to me, and he just hugged me. Didn't say a word. He just hugged me. That hug was not my dad's hug. This is my father in heaven's hug. My father in heaven said, I got you, Andre. I'm so happy you finally realized you can't do this. Anybody hear what I'm saying? I'm so happy you finally figured out you can't be a Christian without me. Not for a moment, not for an hour, not for a second. How's the song go? I need thee every hour, most precious Lord. Doesn't say temptations lose their power when thou art God. Then it goes, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, prayer, my Savior, I come to thee. So it doesn't matter how many demons there are. It doesn't matter how many temptations there are. It doesn't matter. Any of those things don't matter. The seventh volume of the testimonies, page 17, you know what it says? Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the merits of the Savior. God will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one rather than allow him or her to be overcome. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Every angel, that's what it says. Every angel. Matters not what the temptation is. Matters not what the struggle is. Matters not what, you're, what the problem in the home. It doesn't matter what it is. You and I have access as children of God to every angel if necessary. This is God's promise to us. This is his hand extended to each one of us. 
If we are lost, my friends, it will definitely not be because God wasn't trying. It won't be because God was mad at us because he ain't mad like that. It's simply because, hey, God, I want my sin. Leave me alone. And you would have to fight for that, you know. You would have to fight for that. Let's not lie to ourselves. Amen. Let's recognize our true condition. Let's let Jesus do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let him lift us up out of this dirt, my friends. I know I need him. Every moment I need him. Don't ever look at a preacher like, oh, that preacher, because he knows that preacher is in trouble. Amen. The preachers need help just like you need help. If it's your desire to have Jesus take this dirt, which is you and me, take this dirt, we recognize our condition and to make us like him. If that's your desire. And listen, not just that. Some of us have pet sins. You know what a pet sin is? You know what a pet is, right? It's a little pet sin. You like to scratch his belly. Hold it close. It's that dear one. It's one sin neutralizes the power of the gospel. How many? Not 5,000. And you can't, listen, you can't cover it up by coming to church on Saturday. One pet sin. So my, my appeal to you is this. Let's leave all sin alone. Let's leave all our pets, our sins at the feet of Jesus and let him cleanse us from the inside out. Is that all right? If that's your desire, let's go to our knees together. Father, you've heard our prayer. We just want to be real, Lord. Uh, We don't love you like we should. We're drawn by the things of this world. We're hurting inside and we don't want to tell anybody. We're struggling with things that no one knows about. And Father, we come to you right now on our knees just asking that you take our hearts for we cannot give them. They are your property. We ask that you keep them for we cannot keep them for thee. We ask that you save us in spite of ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves. And raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love flow through our souls. Please, Lord, please take the knowledge that we have in our head and write the principles in our heart. Please take away the love for this world. Please teach us how to behold Jesus until there's nothing else to see but him. Please, Lord, thank you for your mercy, your grace. Thank you for your justice. In your law. Father, I ask for a special peace upon persons who may be struggling, their homes may be coming apart. I pray, Father, that you as the great counselor, wonderful counselor, go into each home and build it back up, Father. Save our family, save our save our children. Please, Lord. There's nowhere else to go. There's no other help but in you. Bless each one under the sound of my voice this evening. Give each one a special blessing, especially the the Sabbath blessing that you intend to give each and every Sabbath. We surrender all.
And we pray all this in the name of Jesus and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen.